Welcome to the third season of our podcast series, Smarter Apple Spraying. Our three-year research and outreach project is funded by USDA's Crop Protection and Pest Management Program. The project is a joint effort of Iowa State University, the Ohio State University, and the USDA Spray Laboratory at Worcester, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Gleason, a plant pathologist at Iowa State University. The project is looking for ways to maximize the efficiency of pesticide sprays in apple orchards in the Midwest. It combines two technologies in field trials in Iowa and Ohio. One of these technologies is called the Intelligent Sprayer. It's a modified air blast sprayer that can apply pesticides much more precisely and reduce spray drift every time a pesticide spray goes on. The other technology is called disease warning systems. These systems track weather conditions so that pesticides can be applied only when there's a real risk of damage from diseases or pests. The goal here is to save sprays when possible. Our project looks at these new ideas separately and together to see how they can make spraying as cost-effective as possible for apples. Welcome to the podcast series, Smarter Apple Spraying. Our guest today, our interviewee, is Dr. Melanie Lewis-Ivy, who's a professor of plant pathology specializing in fruit crops at uh, the Ohio State University um, uh, Worcester Research Station. And um, Melanie and, uh, and our group at Iowa State have been collaborating, her, her uh, team and our group at Iowa State have been collaborating for the uh, last three years um, on a project having to do uh, directly with um, uh, spraying uh, pesticides on apples and uh, some emphasis on fungicides. So I think um, we wanted to talk today, Melanie, about, uh, um, uh, well, after you just tell people about what you do, uh, uh, maybe a little bit about fungicide resistance and what that, uh, what growers should watch out for with regard to that. Yeah, well, thank you again for inviting me um, for this podcast. I think fungicide resistance is a really important topic, and it's actually one of the focuses of my program here at Ohio State. You know, fungicide stewardship and you know doing what we can to um, reduce the the inputs of fungicides while still maintaining um, good disease control. And so my my program here, um, I focus mostly on fruit crops and nut crops, particularly apples, grapes, and chestnuts are the three main crops that I work on. And as you mentioned, you know, you and I are working together on, on, you know, evaluating the intelligent sprayer and what role it can play in fungicide stewardship and reducing, you know, our use of fungicides or more judicial use of fungicides, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, in course of your job, you work quite closely with growers, Melanie. Uh, right, you got an extension appointment, and um, is that yep, that's right? Five percent extension appointment now, um, and so you know, significant amount of my time is you know working with growers, conducting applied research, and making sure that that research gets translated um, so that they can produce a healthy, safe crop. Great. Um, 
So let's get into this area about fungicide resistance. Um, uh, you know, it's, you're a great person to talk about this with because this is an emphasis for you and, you know, long-term emphasis and uh, in your in your program. And uh, so when you're talking to growers, how do you, how do you kind of um, um, get their heads around uh, the risks and what it means to them? Yeah, you know, it, it can be challenging because we can't completely eliminate fungicides. You know, they're essential to managing diseases, but we can find ways to um, use them more efficiently and, you know, try to delay or prevent the development of fungicide resistance. And, you know, we, we could grow crops without fungicides, but we wouldn't have enough to feed everybody so you know food security would be an issue and we'd have to also overcome some of the consumer perceptions about you know what a scabby apple looks like and and tastes like um so when i'm communicating with growers i i try to you know emphasize that i'm not here to say don't use fungicides but that we need to find ways to you know better use them and incorporate them into a toolbox and so a lot of my research you know, looks at how we can integrate fungicides um, without having resistance develop and without completely losing them. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess, uh, kind of lays it out for them. Uh, um, you know, I, I've dealt a lot with growers, uh, apple growers in my past since I had an extension appointment for many years, but um, sometimes growers would talk about their perceptions that they were losing effectiveness of a fungicide that they were putting on apples that wasn't doing the job. And maybe they were even putting on higher rates and still wasn't doing the job and trying to sort out the various factors that could be responsible for that. So what, uh, is that the similar to conversations you have with uh, Ohio growers? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why a fungicide might not be um, working as well as they're expecting to work. And fungicide resistance is just one of, of those reasons. Um, other reasons that, that growers might experience is that maybe they're not selecting the correct fungicide for the target pathogen. You know, not, not all fungicides are effective against all types of pathogens. So it's really important that you're selecting the correct fungicide. They might also not be getting good coverage or uh, they might not be using the most appropriate rate for the level of um, inoculum or the level of disease pressure that they might have in their orchard. And, or if they have a highly susceptible variety, you know, they, they might need to use a stronger or a higher rate of fungicide because that variety happens to be highly susceptible so they don't have you know integration of resistance for instance so when you're having this kind of conversation with uh, with ohio apple growers um, how do you help them sort through it i mean uh, there's a number of possible factors right and one of them could be that the the chemical is just losing effectiveness just like they suspect but do you, do you kind of walk them through procedures to kind of pinpoint what's going on yeah, so one one of the first things I'll do is, you know, sit down with them and and go over their spray program, you know, and, you know, make sure that, you know, they're using the right chemical and that they're applying it at the right intervals and basically, you know, using them how they were meant to be used. 
you know, actually confirming fungicide resistance is not that easy. And so, you know, it's usually one of the last things that we look at, unless there is like a complete crop failure and it was, you know, can be fairly obvious then that maybe fungicide resistance was, was the reason. But really we have to, you know, talk to them about ruling out all of the other factors. And then if it is, you know, likely fungicide resistance, you know, actually getting their, the, the fungal pathogen tested in the lab and screening it for resistance. And, you know, not, not all labs do that. You know, not all diagnostic clinics do that. Some of them do it for some pathogens and not others. And so, you know, that's, that can be hard, but it really is the only way to absolutely confirm that you have fungicide resistance within your fungal population in there. So, so in that laboratory study, you'd be a, like um, taking the fungus, whatever it may be, scab or whatever, and putting it on laboratory plates, which have food for the fungi to grow. And then you're adding a certain amount of fungicide in, in the different plates, right? Or doing kind of a dilution. So you have a little bit of fungicide in some and more in another. We got the right picture here? Yeah, that's right. So we just call that a bioassay where we, you know, test different levels of the fungicide that they that we suspect is the reason why there's failure. There are also molecular tests, um, but not for all the different types or modes of action of fungicides. And, and so if, you know, for instance, for the strobilorins or the QOI or FRAC 11 fungicides, you know, we have a quick PCR test we can do to see if the pathogen has that gene that's causing resistance. And in that wow. case, we, we would probably do that over a bioassay. But a lot of the, it's not that easy for a lot of the different modes of action of fungicides. And so we have to do the bioassays. And it's important to, you know, we get a baseline and we know what's out there. And then if it is resistant, we can then make recommendations moving forward, whether it's using a different fungicide or integrating other um, practices into managing the disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've had some conversations with growers who strongly suspected, and I suspected too, maybe they're having fungicide resistance, but um, sometimes the conversation um, gets to the thorny question of whether they should just stop using that fungicide. I mean, it's not enough just to use more of it, is it? Well, that, you know, that's a hard question, Mark, to answer <laughs> because there are different types of resistance. You know, you have resistance that occurs really quickly and, you know, an entire population will shift from being sensitive to resistant. And in that case, it doesn't matter how much more of that fungicide you put on, you're never going to have control. And then you have resistance that occurs a little bit more slowly and over maybe multiple seasons. And in that case, you know, you might have part of your fungal population that, you know, the fungicide will work on, so it's sensitive and part that's resistant. And in that case, you could increase your rate or maybe increase the number of applications and not have to completely stop using the fungicide. But it it really depends on, on the situation within your orchard. Um, but in most cases, even if you even if you have that slower resistance developing over time, you'll probably have to stop using the fungicide because it doesn't matter how much you add, it just it just wouldn't work. 
which is why new fungicide development is so important. And we, and we uh, wish we had more of them, right? Yeah, exactly. Because uh, that's, uh, that's a slow process. Um, so um, thinking about these kind of fungicides that suddenly lose resistance and the ones that kind of gradually do it, I think about it like you're up on a roof of your house and you either fall off the roof, that's the sudden kind because you're now <laughs> in trouble, you've fallen off the roof versus sliding down the roof slowly holding on with your fingernails that would be the kind of the gradual loss right right yeah that's a good analogy or maybe okay. slipping on ice <laughs> <laughs> slipping on ice Ooh, <laughs> that's just too that's too personal okay <laughs> um yeah so um so it kind of i think what you're if i understood you correctly it's um you kind of have to customize that advice to the situation of the orchard and the kind of fungicide you're talking about and and I would imagine sometimes your advice is just to get off that that class of fungicides. Yeah, that's that's often it. Or to you know look at how they have been using it, and even even if they're using it according to the label, um, you know the label, for instance, will say that you can make up to four applications a season. But we really try not, especially for the high risk fungicides, we we recommend you know two if they can, you know, it's not always feasible, but you know, if they can use two applications of a fungicide with a specific mode of action, and then, you know, use two applications of another fungicide with a different mode of action, then we would recommend that because it's, you know, we just need to hold on to these fungicides as long as we can. And, and one way is to, you know, even use them a little bit less frequently than might be um recommended on their labels mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um it's important to know the frac group and i imagine you have conversations with growers about cross resistance within a fungicide class right uh, do you, yeah. you want to talk a little bit about that yeah i don't usually you know talk too much or use that terminology if, um all the time but i do talk about you know looking at those frac numbers and without knowing anything about the science or the mode of action, just knowing that if you have a FRAC 11, it doesn't, you could have five different fungicides with a FRAC 11. You know, you don't wanna use each one of those two or four times a year. You know, within that FRAC 11, you pick your fungicide and you use it twice or four times, depending on, you know, if you're gonna go with the label. So because, you know, you do have cross resistance and it doesn't matter what that number is, it's going to behave the same. That's kind of how I use it. I really like the frac codes for that reason, because you don't have to get into the chemistry or the details. You can just say, okay, you're going to use a frac 11 twice. And, and sometimes we have products that are mixed. And so they might have a frac 11 and a frac nine, and you still have to consider that frac 11 as one app as an application or within that fungicide group that you're using don't don't just assume that the frac 9 is going to do the job for you you've got to right because right. the, the fungus is seeing both of those seeing the 11 and the 9 yeah. yeah so you could still be in in trouble you're listening to a podcast series called smarter apple spraying the series is part of a three-year project in iowa and ohio that is funded by usda's crop protection and pest management program now back to our interview so you know getting around to this um uh 
intelligence sprayer role here. We've been, you know, you've been messing with that for, I should say, experimenting with it for a number of years uh, with Hu Ping Zhu, the, the uh, developer of that uh, technology um, at the ARS spray lab in, in Worcester. And um, do you want to comment on how that might, that technology might have an impact on, let's say, uh, fungicide stewardship or resistance, fungicide resistance? Yeah, I, I think, you know, fungicide stewardship is a, is a good term to use for it. You know, basically the intelligence sprayer is just another tool in our toolbox. I'm, I'm really excited about it because, you know, from we've worked on it for four years in grapes and three years in, in apples. And, you know, we found that when using it, you can maintain good disease control you know, but you're putting on anywhere from 30 to 70% less product, um, depending on the phenological stage of the, in this case, the tree. And so you're, you're still getting disease control, but you're putting a lot less into the environment. And just by reducing the amount that you put into the environment, you know, you're, you're using a tool to slow fungicide resistance development because you're not exposing the, the pathogen um, to as much of the fungicide. And so I think that's important, but also you're reducing any off-target drift and, you know, that off-target drift can go on, you know, to another block or another um, crop and, you know, um, promote resistance or um provide selection pressure for resistance to occur. So I'm I'm really excited about it being a tool in our toolbox. And we we actually tested it in grapes. Um, we haven't done that this in Apple, but in grapes, we you know compared it to the conventional sprayer and the intelligence sprayer and then did sampling um, every week to look to see if there was a change in the number of the change in the level of fungicide resistance between the intelligent sprayer versus the conventional sprayer. And we didn't see any differences um, in resistance development. Uh, okay. And, and, and so when you think about how that happened on grapes, uh, may, maybe their principle would carry over to, uh, to apples, uh, perhaps. Right. Um, were you anticipating that, that uh, resistance would, would uh, develop more slowly with the intelligence sprayer compared to, let's say, a standard air blast? No, no, I don't think so. I think what it was the opposite. You know, mm. we were, th there's, you know, some people think, or, you know, there are some data that show that if you have, you know, a small volume spray applications, that you have increased potential for resistance to occur. And so basically, we, we were trying to demonstrate that 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 isn't the case. And in fact, with the intelligence sprayer, you're not actually reducing the the um, amount of product. This is this is hard to to describe, but you're still putting on the same volume, but you're you're putting less everywhere else. You know, so it's targeted onto the plant. Where with small volume sprayers, you're actually putting a lot less volume onto the onto the plant. It's kind of hard to, to describe in words. I wish I could show a diagram. No, it. I think I think you know we've talked about this in our in our project, our joint project several times about 
um, how growers might see this situation, right? And and right. you start talking about putting on less fungicide and they start to think lower rates, but in fact, these aren't lower rates. What well, the difference with intelligent sprayer is you have less on the ground and less up in the air. But when you think about a fungus spore sitting on a leaf, it's exactly the same or right. very, very similar as we've shown with uh, spray coverage and, and also uh, uh, Pingju, the developer of the sprayer has, has shown with uh, other crops as well, that that spray coverage is just as good, rates just the same, yeah. um, but you're putting on, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50% less per acre because you're just not wasting it. Right. Uh, or not wasting as much. There's no, there's no sprayer perfect, but this is, you know, this has got this LIDAR technology uh, the uh, um, intelligent sprayer does kind of like a driverless car or a driverless truck so it knows where the trees are and the nozzles you know there's a computer in that thing and it takes a laser um, reflection back from the tree and it it, it uh, basically targets the parts of the tree that that are um, seen by that laser reflection and you get a very intelligent well a very directed sort of spray yeah. so yeah that's a different thing so that that's i think that's one of our challenges in um, in in working with the apple industry is making sure people understand this is not like the old days uh, when people used to talk about reduced rates or reduced uh, you know um you know uh, concentrates and this is a different world than you know putting 30 gallons of concentrate in your tank and going over an acre it's it's a whole it's a different yeah. different thing so not 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 so difficult to understand but i think it takes a while um to to you know wrap your head around it um we we, we certainly uh, took a while to do that yeah. wrap our heads around it so um that's that's just something you have to keep working on with with extension um well um so we're we're, we're, we're not quite wrapping up this project because we just did our third year of, of harvest and other field uh, data with the performance of the sprayer uh, pest control and spray volume and spray coverage and what have you but um you know, thinking about talking to growers this winter or or beyond, um, under what circumstances, and I mean, you know, orchard circumstances, do you think, based on what we know now, that um, this would, uh, the intelligence sprayer would be a good bet for growers? Well, I think, I think <laughs> I'm maybe biased, but, you know, our data shows that you're using a lot less fungicide and and you're putting less into the environment so it's you know more sustainable you're using less so your cost of fungicides goes way down which today is a big deal since fungicide costs have gone up so much um, and you get equivalent disease control and you can use it on multiple crops you don't so a, a apple grower might also have peaches or pears or cherries that they can you know use they can use it in those systems as well. So for me, I think, you know, if if you had unlimited money, <laughs> because I think that's <laughs> probably the the um, factor that would maybe have a grower not use it is the cost of it. I would recommend growers use it. And I've had several growers here in Ohio who have adopted it and love it, you know, and I think, you know, if it was a little bit more economical right now, we would probably see a lot more people doing it. But just the state of the economy in general right now, we've seen, you know, the cost of everything go up. Um, I think it's 
we're we're still working. You and I are, and uh, our colleagues are still working on the economic analysis. But I think that we'll be able to show that you know with the cost savings for in fungicides that you know the payoff will be worth it. There'll be you know a positive cost benefit ratio. I think that's my mm -hmm. hypothesis. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I I, I kind of think the way you do. Uh, we're fortunate to have a couple of good economists on the project with us. Uh, Wendong John and uh, Dion Chung, and they've been working on this, and uh, we're we're close to having our economic uh, analysis, I think, uh, to a place where we can share it with growers. But what we've seen in preliminary trials, it's not wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to any grower. You have to lay out, uh, you know, a good sum of money, like Melanie said, uh, to to buy this kit that would convert your uh, your standard air blast into uh, intelligent sprayer. Um, but the part that's not surprising, I think, is that um, if you have a bigger scale orchard, you're going to the payback period is going to be shorter. Um, smaller orchard will uh, take longer uh, to hit that uh, break even period. Um, and we we run that simulation out to several hundred acres, which would fit with some of the larger scale orchards in, in Ohio. And uh, um, here in Iowa, the orchards uh, tend to be on the smaller side and therefore the payback period would be somewhat longer. Another thing to think about though, um, when you're thinking about uh, savings is trips, you know? I mean, suppose you're out there putting on your fungicides and insecticides with the intelligent sprayer. If, you, if, if you're saving, and we've seen this in both Iowa and and uh, Ohio, uh, if you're saving 50%, you're putting on, you're covering, doing a good job covering an acre for 50% less volume. That means you're you're going to be able to spray um, basically twice the amount of orchard for the same amount of, of that's in the tank. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're not going to have to refill the tank as often. So there's a, oftentimes in orchards I'm familiar with, there's a trip from from particular orchard block back to the water source and remixing the pesticides and so forth. And that all amounts to money and time as well. So that's, there's the fungicide saving, but there's also the labor and the, and the gasoline or diesel and the other costs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a good point too, Mark. It's also, you're using less water. And so, you know, in areas where, you know, drought is a problem, uh, you know, where there's just, you know, not unlimited water available. Um, your your footprint for water usage is is much lower, and so that's a savings as well. There are a lot of a lot of sustainable benefits to I think to the intelligent sprayer. You know, in addition to um, you know using using less fungicide, but sustainable in terms of the environment, which is really something that that makes me happy, and I think you know, growers can also market their product as, you know, being more sustainable and, you know, less, not necessarily pesticide free, but, you know, less pesticide. And, and that goes a long way for, for marketing um, a product as well. Yeah, that's a good point that, you know, depending on what your, what your market outlet is, uh, um, the, the whole water situation is just going to become more critical as time passes. And uh, uh, even places like Ohio and Iowa have have periods. We've had a dry yeah. se segment now with La Nina the last three years. And, uh, and you know, the whole water availability thing is, uh, uh, particularly if somebody's working off a well or something like that, can be real critical. Mm -hmm. So, 
Well, we've been talking to Dr. Melanie Lewis Ivey um, at uh, Ohio State University Worcester uh, campus. What is the official name of that campus, which I always forget, Melanie? It's um, C A E F S. Oh, you put me on the spot. <laughs> College, of okay. College of oh. Agriculture and Environmental and Food Sciences. <laughs> <laughs> well, it used to be O A R D C. It just, yeah, it just changed. It's C F. AES, College of Food, Agriculture, and Environmental Sciences, uh, Worcester Campus. It's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, thanks for your time, Melanie. Really appreciate it. Um, um, we'll uh, uh, get back to you soon, maybe if we have another podcast request. Yes, great. Well, thank you for the invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series. You can find more episodes in this series at the Smarter Apple Spraying website. The link is https colon two front slashes www.smartapplespray.plantpath.iastate.edu. The host for this series is Mark Gleason, Jose Gonzalez is the editor. The Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series is funded by a grant from USDA's Crop Protection and Pest Management Program. For more information about the three-state project, contact Mark Gleason. Email is mgleason, M-G-L-E-A-S-O-N, at iastate.edu in Iowa, or Melanie Lewis Ivy. Email is ivey dot one four at osu dot edu at the Ohio State University.